we all kind of know uh, what it's like to, to be lost. I, um, I'm 38 years old. You're welcome for knowing that. I look good. I know. That's what you were going to say next. Um, I lived in a land in the world before GPS. And my, one of my first jobs after I uh, graduated college, I worked as an admissions counselor for uh, Trinity Christian College. And so I had a flip phone, right? Go trolls. I had a flip phone. That was it, right? So there was no GPS on that phone. Most cars didn't have it. Those devices were just coming out, you know, like the Garmin's, but they were ridiculously expensive. And so anytime we would go, we would, we would fly into a place and then we would have to, you know, read maps and figure it out. Well, I don't read maps. I have no sense of direction. People say things like, it's on the south side of the street. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is Burger King on my right or my left? Like, what does that mean? So I've spent most of my life in that early, from like 16 to 27, like lost a lot, right? Just, I just spent a lot of time and money and being lost because gas. Uh, but I would go to these places and I would have to have like a binder where I would, Rand McNally, does anyone remember? You would, you would type in Rand McNally and you would say, I want to go from here to here and it would print out directions for you. And so then I would have to say, okay, now I'm going from this high school to this one and then to this one and then I'm gonna go back to my hotel. And then, so I had to have every leg of my trip sort of planned out perfectly. I don't know if you know anything about me yet, but you know that's not probably my skill, right? Like, that's not really where my skills lie. Uh, but I would do that and then I, and then I just remember having my first trip to Houston, Texas. If you've ever been to the Texas area, it's like sort of a concrete jungle of, um, like freeways, they're over and under and around. And so I got, I mean, I got lost. I was going the wrong way all the time. It's at night. I'm on my flip phone, mom. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, I'm just, I don't know what I do. I'm in tears, right? I'm like 22 years old and I'm crying and I'm lost. And she's like, she's like my tech support. She's like, I'm on it. And she goes downstairs and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to Google this for you. <laughs> Dial up is happening. Um, so I, that first trip was just a giant wreck. So, so being, being lost is one of those, it's frustrating and it's scary and it's, um, you don't know what to expect next. And I would guarantee that around these tables, there's got to be some good, I got lost stories. So keep, I, that's what I want you to do. Just take like two minutes and who's got the best, I got lost story. If you're at Travis Radis table, I bet he's going to have the best story because he's been a lot of places. So I really want you to do this. Who's got the best I got lost story? Go at your table. I'll call you back when it's time. Two minutes. I'm going to look for the best story. I, I, what I love about the, this idea, everybody has some idea of what that means. Now, obviously, we're going to go way deeper into what it means to be lost in this parable, but there's this sort of, there's these feelings that will automatically be uh, attached with those. So some of those sense of uh, being lost, you think about it now and it's really, really funny. But at the time, there's a lot more uh, deeper emotions that go with what it feels like to be lost. So think about those things. Before we go any further, let's, let's pray. God, we are here together to, to read uh, the words that you've given to us in scripture. Um, God, we ask that you open our ears uh, and our hearts to what you have for us as individuals, uh, Lord, but also what you have for us as your church. Uh, we thank you for your word to us, and, and we hope that uh, we can live into it. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so parables. Um, there's actually 24 different parables in the, in the book of Luke. So parables are a thing. Jesus always used them to illustrate a point. I think we know that. Um, but what I didn't know is that there's like a, over 400 parables 
if you look into some, into like the, the way that rabbis taught back then, parables were a form, uh, a rabbinic teaching tool. So lots of people use them. Uh, and this was just one way that Jesus was sort of using them uh, as well, that same rabbinic sort of teaching style. It's always that sort of moment where some of them are longer, some of them are shorter, but I always feel like it's that moment in like Full House when Danny Tanner like sits on the bed next to DJ and there's like this moment, the music starts to play and this is like the lesson that you're supposed to learn. It's a little bit like that, right? Like we're taking this life story to illustrate this larger point. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing. But like so many of Jesus' stories, there's multiple layers to, to these different stories. And I think some of them are so familiar to us that sometimes we can lose some of the other pieces, right? There's three characters in the story. There's the father, there's the older son, and there's the younger son. We sort of focus on, on those three. And most of the time I talk about this story or we share this story together, our main focus is on that younger son, right? This, the son that um, did all the stuff and went away and uh, sowed his wild oats, so to speak, and, and he comes back and there's, there's redemption in that story. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna touch on that, but I sort of have always seen myself uh, as the younger brother. My sister is not here and I can talk about her because she is never gonna listen to this online. Um, but we, we have a complicated relationship. Like she is definitely more that older brother that goes and she's still kind of sowing some wild oats and it's, it's frustrating and I feel like I'm always the, the kid that's home being like, you are, not, you are not doing it right and I'm over here and I'm doing all the things right. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to be the golden child in my house when you have a sister like mine and you only have one, right? So it's this, it's this tension and that's how I always felt when I would read this story. So maybe as you heard it being read or you read it on your own this week, there's something, there's always a piece of a story that you sort of individually identify with because there are different stories in this room and I don't know them all. And some have stories of what it is like to have gone off and to be, and to be lost and to have done those things that make us feel so far away from God that we're never gonna be able to come back. Relationships that have felt like they've been so broken, they're never gonna get repaired, right? And some of you maybe do feel like me uh, who's sort of the kid at home that's doing the right things, that is trying to follow Jesus and is doing, is doing it right. And it's frustrating to you when you see uh, the, other, the other sibling. And some of you are parents and you know what it's like to wait and hope for that child to come home. So we sort of all have these different aspects of our story. But today, I think, as I've been sort of thinking about it and processing it, I said, I feel a lot like the 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 older brother, and I bet, and I think the church does too. Like, I really think that's the, that's the role that, that, that the church can sometimes fill. And as we talk about church in light of the resurrection, who we want to be in the ways that we want to interact with people, I want to focus on the older son. So if we jump back in uh, to verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me your share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So the father divided his property, right? Which means that not just the younger son got it, but that means the older son had gotten it too. So if you're gonna give it away early, he's gotta give it away equally to both. Well, not actually equally. In, in the first century, if you were the oldest one, you would get a double share. So he got even more than his younger brother. But inheritance, right, we know that even today, inheritance is something that you normally don't get until your parent has passed away, 
right? So it's something that you get then. So by, we know that by, by the, the younger son saying this, it's like, I wish you were dead, give me my money, I'm out, right? Like that's sort of the conversation that he's having uh, with his dad. It's the younger son's idea. It's what he wants. But the older brother doesn't say anything. He stays silent the whole time. He doesn't protest and say, no, 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 we, like, dad, we love you, this is important, we can't do this. Little brother kind of like smacks him into shape. He doesn't do that. And in 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 a shame culture, right, where where things can either bring honor or bring shame, this was, again, another act of shamefulness that the son puts on his father. And in the first century, when there's a disagreement, a relational uh, disagreement, a third party is always brought in as close to that person. Um, You want them to be close to the family, close to the situation. They don't want it to be a third person objective. They want it to be somebody who's in the situation that cares. And that person is brought in as the reconciler. Someone to help them work that out. And in this case, that would should be the older brother, but he doesn't. He just stays completely silent. He doesn't say a word. So that's just sort of an interesting thing that I think we can maybe infer here that the older son's relationship with a father is fractured too. That feels broken to me. If you're not going to stand up and say something and speak out, then that means maybe there's something in that relationship that isn't quite right. And I think Jesus' listeners would have made that connection. Hey, that's the older son's job. He should have stood up. He should have said something, but he doesn't. And so it just continues to bring disgrace and shame. So let's go back to the, to the younger son. In verse 13, Says not long after, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went out. No, nope, not lost my thought. So he went out and hired, uh, and hired himself out to citizens of the country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs, which, you know, Jews don't hang out. I mean, that's not a thing that you do. That's an unclean animal. So he is in this point like, I will do anything to get some income and to, and to fill my stomach. Uh, but when he came to his senses, uh, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him. So this is like, all right, this is my plan. This is not working out. So my plan is I'm gonna go back. And, and he's kind of like, you know, you've been in those situations where you have to go back or you have to, you have to make a plan in your head. So, okay, this is, this is what I'm gonna say. Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, right? He's he's regretting the situation that he's in. I don't know yet if he like is really repentant of of necessarily of his, his lifestyle and his choices or if it's more like, I'm in some pretty desperate need and I've gotta go back and it feels a little bit more like tail between my legs, I gotta go back. I got to say the right things to, to, to get back in, hoping that his father's going to take him back, right? He's trying to, what can I do to earn my way back into my father's good graces? What are the things he needs to hear me say? Been, I mean, I feel like I've been in those places, right? When I, it's like this idea of I've got to make an apology and it's got to be good, right? Like he's got to hear me say the right things. But listen to, to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
I, just lo- I mean, I love that. If, if you're a parent in this room and you know what it's like to love your kids with this fierce and intense love that even when they mess up, you just want to scoop them up and love them, he has no idea that his son is on his way home, right? So I imagine, right, like cup of coffee in hand by the big front window, you're sitting and you're waiting. Every, every day for a while, you just spent time looking because that father saw him coming, and if that father saw him coming from a long way off, he was hoping and he was waiting for him. And I, that is one of those things that will always surprise me, even though I know it shouldn't, right? Because the human part of us goes, that's, I mean, that's sort of ridiculous. I, I'm not gonna, this kid took everything I had and he's, he left. So there's part of me that's, that, that, that bitterness and resentment sort of stays with me. But he's waiting for him. And his father runs to him. And we know from our conversation last week with Zacchaeus, men did not run. Like adults, grown-ups did not run in the first century. That was another thing that would have been shameful if he was seen running in his community, running out to meet his son. But he does it anyway. He kind of is willing to be shame-filled, disgrace-filled, so that he can throw his arms around his son, taking on his own son's shame. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father immediately accepts his son back in, right? A robe and a ring are signs of, of, of position. It's, it's what, the best robe, make him, make him look nice. Put something on his finger that shows that we have, the, that he's important and that we have wealth. And, and to put sandals on his feet. The only people that were barefoot would be servants, right? So he wants to make sure that you, this is not who, how you're coming back into my house. You are coming back into my house as my son who I love, So you are getting dressed and you are getting sandals back on your feet to look like the son that you are and the family that you belong to. He restores him to sonship. And this is is that moment of repentance for for that son, right? I think when he sees his father's reaction, you're overwhelmed. And when you're overwhelmed by some of that, I think that's when you finally say, "I, I, I was wrong, right? Like I... Not only am I, am I sorry because I'm in need, but because of the, the love that you have for me, I now even more fully understand what I've done to hurt you because you've, you've loved me enough to accept me back in. Because God the Father is all about making the unworthy worthy. So they kill the fattened calf because it's time to celebrate, right? It is time to, 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 to throw a party. And here's where we can't forget what has happening to the older son, the older brother. So in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what's going on, right? So the son's out in the, in the field. He has no idea. He probably hears the music. Like what is happening? I've just been working a full day and there's like, where did all these people come from? Because I, I imagine, right, this, the communities, there are people that are already have come over. If you're going to kill the fattened calf, this isn't just for like, like 
a Sunday dinner, right? Like there's gonna be six or seven of us around the table. We're gonna invite community and come and celebrate with us. So this party's in full swing when he comes. And to me that, that he's so disconnected from his family, from his father specifically, but from the community overall, that he hasn't, he's not in tune with what's going on at all. So I think he's become so sort of embittered by things that he just kind of skulks off by himself. He's that guy, right? It's like always kind of like angry about things. He's got it all pent up and he's completely disconnected. So the, listen to the response from the older son in verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf. He's ticked. Like we're gonna read it that way because he's, he, I mean, you can, you can hear the bitterness and the resentment in his voice that he is ticked. Because remember that the father gave all his inheritance away, right? So the younger son squandered it. So when the father kills the fatted calf, that's part his. So, so the, the generosity of the father is, is coming at the expense of the older son. And so he's just sort of, now you're giving my stuff away too. And I've done everything, I've done everything right. I mean, he's focusing, right, his anger about the fact that, that you've killed this fatted calf and I didn't even get a goat. I complain about not getting, my mom never gave me a goat ever once. <laughs> my sister got a horse, true story. <laughs> she did. I just want a pair of Nike Airs, but I didn't, I didn't get those either. Right, so he's focusing on the thing that he's mad about, but what he's really mad about, right, is the, is the grace and forgiveness that his father shows his brother. That's frustrating for him. It's kind of like if you're a younger or if you're an older sibling, you know what this feels like. You've kind of gone before, trained your parents a little bit, and then your younger brother like does the same junk that you did, and you're like, are you kidding me? My mom would have grounded me for a week if I did that. Like that is unfair. You missed curfew and it's no big deal. And it's that's that same sort of that jealousy of it's not fair. You are not treating us the same. I'm doing the things right. And notice his language in verse 30. He says, but this son of yours, not my brother, not our, like he's, he's pawning him off. He's this like, no, no way. He's not, he's not my brother. Maybe if you're a parent, you've got kids and your kids, you know, your little kids, you're like, ooh, you need to get your son. <laughs> you need to get your daughter. This is your daughter right now, right? It's that moment of like, they do not, he does not belong to me. He still got the bitterness and the resentment and that fractured relationship with his father comes sort of to the forefront. In verse 28, the older son becomes angry and refuses to go in. I feel like it's that family Christmas where you're on the way, like there's clearly a fight that's happened before you get to the party and you take all that tension with you and you're just like fighting in the car before you get in. You better get it together and you better come in the house because I do not want grandma to know that we are fighting, right? Like get it together because we're going in and it's gonna be fine. And it's that sort of like, you know, we wanna play it cool, but it is, it is, not, it is not at all that tension. Every, so everybody at this party has gotta know 
something's going on because the, the, the other brother's not there. They're having a party for his, for his younger brother, the younger son, and the, the, the big brother's outside being all ticked and hurt, and I'm not, I'm not going in. So, so if the inheritance is split, and the property, the estate, is both the father's and the son's. So it's, it's, it belongs to the son. It's kind of like, I feel like, you ever watch Downton Abbey? Right? It's like that sort of like lineage. If things get passed on, but like the old people don't go away, like they're still like, what you doing? What's going on? How are you spending my money? So, so they own, he owns it, but they own it together. And so they would both be hosts of this same party, right? So it, it, he should be in there for, for lots of reasons. One, to be the host of this party and his father's in there and his father leaves the party to go talk to him. Again, a shameful, disgraceful thing that you would do in front of community where I've got to go and leave this thing that I'm hosting to go have a conversation with my son. Everybody at that party knows something's up and they just can't, they don't, they can't figure it, quite, figure it out yet. But clearly, everybody sort of knows. So the father leaves the party because he, he wants to make it clear to his son that he, he loves him enough to want to have this conversation with him that wants to have that talk. And you know, if you're a parent, what it's like to have a conversation with like a teenager when they're mad, right? Like all sort of sense and reason leaves them um, and they're just mad, right? Like on just no rhyme or reason, like you can't speak reason with them, kind of angry. That I think is the way that we, that the father goes and finds this son. In the text, it says he pleads with him. So he's going in asking him to, to do this thing for him, you know, to come in, to come to the party. And the son just sort of disrespectfully starts his conversation, look. And then he goes on to list all the reasons why he's ticked. Look. He doesn't address his father. This is first century, right? Like we might have more casual relationships with our parents, but then this whole idea of honoring your father and your mother looked very, very different. And so the fact that he doesn't address his father as father or sir in any way, but he just goes in and just says, look, here's my list of grievances against who you are. He doesn't offer him any respect. And then he says two things that tells us a little bit about his heart. One, he says, I've never disobeyed one of your orders. And then he says, you squand- he's, your, your, your son squanders your property with prostitutes. Okay, now who said anything about prostitutes? This feels like brand new information. Um, I know that they're talking about wild living and maybe prostitutes could be part of that whole deal, but the son all of a sudden gets really, really specific. And if we zoom out a little bit, Jesus is making a bigger point to the Pharisees, right? He's not telling the story out of the blue. So if you zoom out to the beginning of of Luke 15 in chapter one, this is the third story about being lost in, in a series of three stories, right? And so in verse one and two, if we zoom out, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is a familiar scene. This is the way that we meet uh, Jesus so often in, uh, in the gospels uh, with sinners in direct and always sort of ticking off the Pharisees and the teachers of the law right? Jesus is hanging out with sinners, people that have blown it. They're unclean. They're not following the law. They're not doing it right. And then you've got the religious folks 
who, are doing, who have made a, a living out of doing it right and telling you how to do it right better, right? So they believe that they have done nothing wrong and therefore they will stand righteous and holy before God. And Jesus decides to, to not just spend time with them, but to eat with them. Because we know that having a meal is a sign of acceptance. I don't just love you enough to spend time with you. I'm gonna sit down and share a meal with you. That's how much I care about you. And that, this reason is why Jesus is telling this specific story. It's at the end of this series of three. And when Jesus decides he wants to tell you a story, like if Jesus is like, you're having a conversation with him and he's like, I wanna tell you a story, you are busted, <laughs> right? You are busted every single time because when Jesus tells a story, it's always pointed, right? It always means I wanna challenge your way of thinking and tell you uh, why I've got a better way to do it. And so the tax collectors, the sinners, right? They're the younger son. They're the people that have, that have blown it, that they're not doing it right. And God shows them mercy and kindness and love and forgiveness, right? And then you have the Pharisees and the teachers, the church folks. They're a lot like the older son, right? And two, two, two details that, that Jesus puts on the lips of his older son was, I have never done anything wrong. And that's the exact mentality of the Pharisees, right? By now, we've got to, we're, we've dove deeper into the story. And so we can sort of have a better understanding of the older son's actually done a ton of stuff wrong, right? He's, his behavior, his, the way that he's interacting has, has not been good. He's disgraced his father by remaining silent. He's, he's not uh, speaking out or being the role of the reconciler. He doesn't come into the party and stays out and pouts. He doesn't uh, respect his father enough when he has a conversation with him. But the minds of the Pharisees are, but I'm doing it all right. Because I'm not, I'm not like that. So if I'm not like that, whatever that is in that moment, then, then I'm, I'm doing it better and right. So Jesus is talking directly to them. And it's confirmed for them when the Pharisees, when Jesus puts the words on the lips of the older son, when he says, he has squandered your inheritance on prostitutes. I just couldn't let it go. There's gotta be something more to, to that. Why, why it's all of a sudden, why this being so specific. And Jesus is taking them back to a proverb. And religious people knew the scripture, right? So they, they, they got this. They knew that now this was pointed at, pointed at them. It's Proverbs 29, three says, a man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Aha, right? Jesus is like, boom, there you go. I, I, I know you and I know your heart. And the religious men knew that. They knew it was for them. Jesus is the father, right? Jesus is God incarnate, God in flesh. He's loving and welcoming and accepting and he sits down and has meals with sinners, with people that aren't doing it right. <laughs> the older son is angry uh, at the grace his father shows, right? Every, every time, notice how the father's loving response in verse 31. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Son, I divided up my inheritance. Everything already belongs to you. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate for this, this, this brother of yours. He's like, don't, don't sell him off yet. He's still, he's still your brother. 
Don't pawn him off. He's, he belongs here. He is part of our family. He is your brother. He was dead. He was lost. And now he's found. We had to celebrate. Is it clear to you yet? Because after I just kept being in here, I just kept being like, oh man, this is just, the older son is just as lost as the younger one. Every bit is lost. The younger son is representative of every, those, every one of us who have been lost and then found. But the older son represents those who are found but are lost. Right? This should be the story of the prodigal sons. The young son leaves home and gets lost, but the older son stays home and is just lost. He's lost on the inside. He's part of the family. He belongs. He's in, he's in the in-group but he's still, he's still lost. His heart is still lost. So what's going on with the older son? Why, what, why is this happening? Look at verse 29. Look, all these years I've been, I've been slaving for you. What's wrong with the older son? Right? He doesn't see himself as a son, as his child. He sees himself as a slave. The relationship of the father and the son has gotten so fractured that it doesn't feel like father and son anymore, it feels like slave and master. And a slave mentality is, I have to get the approval of my master. So in this case, it's all about earning and achieving, right? Those two things. I, I'm gonna make sure that this person is happy with me, that I'm doing enough, that I can check all the boxes because I've, I've gotta earn it, I've gotta make them happy, right? It's not the way being a relationship with God is supposed to be. But how do we interact with God? We, we have a lot of great words and we talk about grace in, in ways that matter to us, but it's not always the way that we behave in our, in our hearts, right? The knowing it in your head and, and feeling it and living it out in your heart are really, really different. And I know for me, it gets, that gets messed up sometimes. We don't do it as a slave, but we do it as a child of God's sons and daughters recognizing that we have a loving parent who is gonna do whatever it takes to demonstrate that mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. But I'm the older son. And I bet some of you are the older son. And I think the, the church struggles with being the older son. That right, we're people on the inside, and we're, but we're trying desperately to do it right, to be the ones that are doing it right, and here's why. And if you come to our church, good, but here's the way you do it right. And maybe for some, some, sometimes we go so far to say is, wait until you can be better at doing it right, and then you can sort of come into this place. Right? We want to check the boxes and earn the love and earn the grace, and it's, it's nothing of what our theological be belief tells us to. It's, it's not how we talk about it to each other or to, uh, to people that we know and love, but it's, it is often how we operate. And I'm, that disconnect is really, really, really difficult. Mark 7, verse 6 and 7, uh, says it this way. The Pharisees were, were asking Jesus, um, we're kind of grilling them again about, why the disciples were eating with unwashed hands, right? They, there's rules about everything, right? And they were, they, were, they were not eating properly. So he replied in verse six. So Mark chapter seven, verse six. 
he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. All right, we do the right things. We come to church and we pray and we read the Bible and we tithe and we take really good teaching notes and we don't, you don't cheat on your husband and you treat your wife with respect and yet you feel really distant from God, right? Our hearts can be, be far away and that happens when we get caught up in this works-oriented mentality, something that we don't believe to be true, but we live into it anyway. If, if why we want to keep people out, we believe that are not deserving, right? So sometimes that happens. We, we have that, that, that mentality that says, I'm doing it right over here. And so even though we can get, you know, we're excited for people to know and understand Jesus and come to him, there's a little part of us that maybe get a little ticked. I've been doing it right this whole time, my whole life. And then you come in and now the same grace and forgiveness is for you. So the reason that we do some of the, the things that we talk about, the disciplines of what it means to be in relationship with God isn't to replace our relationship with God, but it's to enhance it. Right? Our, we want our hearts to become more like God's heart. We want to take on the aroma of Jesus. Brad Gray says it this way, um, when you employ a works righteous mentality in a grace-oriented home, you can become numb, bitter, angry, entitled, jealous, and judgmental. Right? To earn means to demonstrate to God that I'm deserving enough to be in this family. I get a spot here. I get one of the good spots. Right? But Ephesians 2 says, and this should be familiar to some of you, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And we love to boast. We do. It's part, of, it's, part of who we, it's part of who we are. We don't, I don't even know if we mean to. I don't even know if we do it um, on purpose, but it, it's, it's how we behave. I have a younger sister, right? And, and, and she always complained that I was, um, that she was always in my shadow. I was five, four years older and five grades above. And every teacher that I had, uh, the first day of school, they'd be like, Kristen Rogers? Are you Carrie Rogers' younger sister? Yeah. I leave an impression, right? I go places. I leave personality-wise. I leave a bit of impression, good, bad, or, the, or otherwise, right? And so that was always with her. She was always in my shadow. This guy, Gary Burge, wrote a really great book. If you're interested at all in, in um, understanding story from first century, he wrote a book called um, Jesus, the Middle Eastern Storyteller. And he says this, Lost sons sometimes have difficulty coming home because of their older brothers. Right? As, as church, as a, as a church people, we're on the inside, right? And we can, without meaning to, we can disparage people from coming back to faith and finding a home because of that judgmental mentality that we can have and that we sometimes don't even know is there. But the father says, my son you are always with me. You have my grace, mercy, and love. You have it all. I gave it all for you. I emptied myself of everything so that you could have everything. Stop trying to earn it. Stop 
trying to be angry with your brother who's finally come home, we have to celebrate. And that's, that's the kind of place that we want to be. A group of people who are saying, I am not doing it right, and it is by grace that I am saved. And because of that grace, God invites me in and accepts me and grants me as I am perfect and whole and good and you make me good enough, I don't make myself good enough. And no matter where you are on your journey, you get to come back in. Relationships can be restored because of who God is and we as a church get to help facilitate that. We get to be a part of what God is already at work doing and he doesn't have to but I will say it again and again, he uses broken, messed up, not doing it right people to, to do that work, to be part of that, to be part of inviting people in. So maybe for today, the lost part is what resonates with you. That's the way you feel or you know exactly what it's like to be the younger son that comes home. But maybe you're like me and this older brother stuff resonates with you. And I would dare to say that if you've been in church a long time, there's going to be parts of this that do. And that's why we're gathering now in these, in these moments before, as we, months before we, we lead up to getting to know our community more and having this big sort of come to our church now, we're here for you. We've got we've to know who our people are. What is the community of Granville like? Who are those people that are looking for a place to come home? Let's be part of that together. Let's pray. God, you are so good and your love endures forever. Uh, I'm thankful for this place to come and to worship, to know uh, more about who you are and your great love for us. God, this story, uh, this room is filled with stories. Stories that um, some of them I know and some of them I don't. And what I love about the way that you work is that you use people's stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? To be able to walk alongside people, to say, I've been there before. I know what that feels like. Come with me. Come with me. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Help us to be that kind of community. Help us to be the kind of people that say, Lord, it is because of who you are. Not anything that I've done or could do, but because of who you are and the way that you emptied yourself and sacrificed yourself on the cross for us, that we get to spend eternity in, in heaven with you forever. And that that joy uh, affects the way that we, we live, that it transforms our very lives, that it, 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 it gets us up in the morning to move out and to be in relationship with people that you are drawing to yourself for a purpose, to welcome them home to bring them back, to say it's been a long time, it's good to see you. Help us to be those, those kinds of people. And, and we just ask that you sort of tear off anything that's within us that makes us want to boast about how we're doing it right or not. Uh, take those things from us and, and rip them out of us and refine us and make us look more like you. Give us the heart that you have. Help us to see things more clearly. Help us to feel things more deeply and help us to get off our butts and be in community. God, we thank you for who you are and who we get to be when we stand in the light of Jesus Christ. Amen.